Hi, everyone. I'm Nate. And I'm Shelby. And welcome to Almost Heretical, the show for those questioning, deconstructing, or changing in their relationship to God, church, and the Bible. When we started questioning our faith, we felt alone and unequipped to handle the barrage of questions and verses that were being lobbed at us, both by Christian friends and often by our own minds. But when we began to examine the Bible from an academic perspective, we discovered that we weren't crazy and we might actually be onto something really beautiful. And we're here to help you navigate your own deconstruction, connect with others on this journey through our Facebook group and Zoom calls, and find a way forward built on a foundation of honesty and authenticity. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Who are you? There's some days I think I know, and other days I don't. So I'll continue the necessary sifting to find what I've been missing. Well, welcome back. We had a really fun chat with Sarah Bessie the author of Jesus Feminist, Out of Sorts, Miracles, and Other Reasonable Things, and also the co-curator of the Evolving Faith Conference and Movement. And I would encourage you to check all of that out. All the links for Sarah's stuff is in the show notes. But yeah, I really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, as we talk about um, a bit on the in, the in the show, Jesus Feminist was a big part of you know kind of my initial journey of even opening up my faith a little bit and thinking of women as uh, having a different role within Christianity and and we one thing that I enjoyed talking about in this interview is I mean she leads a conference called Evolving Faith and so we talked about you know as someone who's a public speaker and writer about faith topics but has been doing so for you know 10 years or more like what does it look like to to have those things change when you're when you're published, you know, your words are in stone. So it was really cool to talk to her about about that and then about just being in in community and trying to have conversations with with people who you care about whose faiths are in different places. Yeah, I think that was my favorite part too was the the second half of this whole chat was about like yeah, how do you have those conversations, right? When someone wants to have coffee with you and even just saying that like get that sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach and um but we did we talked about that for quite a bit quite a bit here at the end of this um at the end of this chat so super excited for you to get to hear it and let us know what you think you can send us emails if you want to go deeper in this community you can go to almostheretical.com and become a patron of the show for just five dollars a month you get access to a second podcast we do called utterly heretical as well as access to our monthly Zoom calls, an ad-free version of the show, and a private Facebook group where we all hang out and chat. And there's a few hundred people in there um, to go on this journey with you. I want to thank our new patrons over the last couple of weeks, Jeremy and Starla, Nicole, Mackenzie, Kim, Bronwyn, Elise, Matt, Natasha, Curtis, David, and many more of you. Thank you so much for going on this journey with us, helping produce and support the show financially. All right, here's our chat with Sarah Bessie. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. It is really an honor to talk with you as um, you've been a really formative part of my journey just ever since really in those initial moments of, I I mean, it wasn't even deconstruction at that point. It was literally, so I read Jesus Feminist and that was those initial moment of, oh, maybe women are, I mean, I was at base level. I was like, maybe women actually could be leaders in the church. Maybe actually women could teach. And so starting to open those doors is really what led me on a very long journey that has led to where I am now and who knows where I'm going. So all that to say, it's it's an honor to get to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much. I love hearing that. I I don't know whether it'd be like, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. (laughs) Both things Uh, are probably true. (laughs) Sure, sure. But I would love to start off with just um, hearing a bit of your background and for the sake of the listeners of kind of, yeah, what type of a Christian environment did you grow up in? And then what have been some mile markers along the way? You, as we said in our introduction, you co-founded Evolving Faith. And so, you know, even just a title like that clearly indicates that, you know, your faith journey has not been stagnant. And I, I can, I think I can assume that you are not who you used to be, that your faith has changed significantly over the years. Um, so if, yeah, if you would like to give us just a kind of 30,000 foot picture of what that journey has looked like, that would, that would be awesome. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that's definitely safe to say. I mean, it's, so I, um, I'm, uh, from Western Canada 
And so I grew up in kind of more of a post-Christian environment in a lot of ways. Um, and yet we kind of, as a family, found ourselves as like first-generation believers in the like um, charismatic renewal movement that happened in, in the 80s um, and even leading into the 90s. And so very like a little bit of word, of, a lot of word of faith, prosperity, gospel, charismatic kind of stuff that was happening at that time period. We, of course, had no idea where we fit in like the larger story of the church. And so it was kind of that experience of like, turn your life upside down, like super, mm. you know, very literal, but very dear as well at the same time. Mm. Definitely its own kind of unique sort of baggage, <laughs> spiritual mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> in some ways, but also a lot of a lot of good people and a lot of sweetness to that too, that I've, you know, slowly been reclaiming and, and recognizing and honoring too. So So, yeah, I mean, I kind of found myself in that world for a really long time. And I think that the experience like a lot of us have of feeling like you have answers, there's an if this, then that quality to your faith, Mm -hmm. even at times there's this um, who's in and who's out and us versus them. And just it it feels it's very developmentally appropriate at the time. But what that ends up happening is then you hit these these points where you're like, wait a minute, the formula is not holding up. You know, or, yeah. or that the the ways that this was advertised is is not exactly there, or the the doubts or the questions that you have so diligently kind of tried to Bible study your way out of, um, seem to somehow still keep kind of crawling, you know, out and wanting to have some sort of light and air and space to them, and so that kind of launched me on a on a lot of my very first experiences of deconstruction, which at the time, like you said, Shelby, there was no language for that, there was no internet community for that. You know, my experiences, like a lot of people happened in my early 20s. The first time I've had many, many rounds with deconstruction (laughs) since then. (laughs) But I think that first experience for me, you know, was motivated by religion, by politics, by, um, you know, larger conversations that were happening inside the church and outside the church. And having this sense of like, well, if I've lost this, does that mean I've lost everything? Hmm. And I think that that's a a place that sometimes it can feel a little bit like a zero sum game. And so learning through that process and learning in the 20 or 25 years since that process of understanding how developmentally normal it is, what an important part of faith formation this is, how um, much more room and inclusion and welcome and goodness there is in God than maybe I had initially thought or, or even hoped for, knew to hope for. Um, and so, yeah, that has kind of just, you know, led, I guess, to a lot of, you know, rethinking and relearning and unlearning, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the years about scripture and God and church and people and, you know, how that shows up in the world. All those things have all been, you know, part of that that process, I guess. Mm. Well, that's that's really beautiful. And I resonate with a lot of the, the things that you're saying there. And that, that feeling of if I've lost this, then have I lost everything? Yeah, and I still can vividly remember that feeling and just it felt very much like grief and mm-hmm. um, just kind of emptiness for a while. And, and maybe that's because we were told that, you know, without this faith, you know, you are empty and you are directionless and you are, you know, you have no moral compass and all these things. So we just at first assume that that's true and then slowly learn that you know maybe there's more, maybe we have more mm-hmm. um, inside us. It's, um, I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, so Jesus Feminist, um, was kind of your, what was it your first book or just your first big book? <laughs> it was my first one altogether. Okay. Well, well done. <laughs> right. Um, if there's one way to quickly make sure everyone is very, very happy with you, it's having a, a book like Jesus Feminist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Put you on a list people, right off please. the bat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That was ten years ago, um, and I thought it was actually interesting in your um, in your book "Miracles and Other Reasonable Things," which is about what four years ago now, well, maybe getting yeah, close I to five. So. Yeah, um, is you you wrote, you wrote that you at the time of writing "Jesus Feminist," you hadn't actually started being like comfortable using female pronouns for God, and kind of you were pointing out like the irony of that. Um, that and so and I just thought, oh, this is so interesting that you know, especially in the topic like evolving faith. Like I'm so curious of what you know, looking back ten years. I mean, that's quite a while, and then even four or five years, and then you have your book out of sorts in between those. You know, what are ways that you'd look back on those books and things you've written, and what are ways you would maybe nuance or change some of the ways that 
or things that are written in those books, even though I think they are still wonderful pieces of writing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that that's one of the the challenges maybe of of writing in the midst of your life is yes. this sense of like it has a permanence that your life actually doesn't have. Mm. <laughs> we do all keep growing, hopefully, right? We keep changing, we keep um, evolving, we keep learning. And so oftentimes, it, sometimes going back and, and reading certain aspects of things that I've written can feel a little bit like a time capsule. I think it's, it, it's not quite the cringe factor of when you go back and read like your junior high journals, oh, yeah. but it's it's close <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yes. Oh, and yet at the same time, it's like hard not to love the sincerity and earnestness, even of the know-it-allness um, that sometimes, um, you know, could show up on the page. And I think that that's something that maybe comes with time. I have often thought that there are certain things I'm really glad I didn't publish or didn't put out there until some time had passed. Mm-hmm. I remember um, a friend of mine, Nadia Boltz-Weber, talking about how she tries not to write out of the gaping wound, but out of the healed scar. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm not writing while the gaping wound is happening. It just means it usually doesn't see the light of day until it's healed a wee bit, or people can go poking around it without me, you know, kind of yelping in pain. Mm-hmm. But there is this sense of looking back at some of those earlier books or earlier moments in your life and and having this sense of like, well, I can see the path I was on. Um, so for instance, like with that one, you know, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I struggled, I think because I grew up in a context and in a world where that was a big deal right? Where pronouns for God was, it was a really, really like very clear sort of, of line. And in some ways I was like, well, I understand why I would do something different, but I almost even made a conscious choice to try to be hospitable to people for whom it was a big deal. Mm. And I was like, so I'm going to use masculine pronouns because that will make more people more comfortable, which again is something else I've grown out of. Hmm. Right. And so, and so those are all, whether those are the motivations or those are the choices or those are the things you did in the moment, if you can even grow out of your, your motivations for them. And so now at this point, you know, how many years later, just so incredibly comfortable with, you know, different pronouns for God um, in so many different ways. And, f- and for so many scriptural biblical reasons, it almost feels jarring to me now when I go back and read Jesus Feminist, because it's so much he, him, his, you know, whatever mm. else kind of language. I mean, I, I remember, I think I was still pretty deep in like a Brennan Manning phase. And so I used the word ABBA a lot. So that definitely locates you a little bit, right? It does. It just right. places you in a moment in time and what you were listening to. And, and I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, like I think almost anything, there's there's growth, right, that ends up happening. There's there's places where I wish I was braver. There's places where I, I knew that I, um, I held back when maybe I could have pushed a little further, um, when I was working really hard to make sure people were comfortable. And I think that that served the book sometimes, but then in other times, was it not as brave as it could have been. Yeah, I think that's true too. Hmm. And I think that's one of the benefits maybe of letting something kind of stand for a a moment in time and a period in time. Because again, back then when I was working on Jesus Feminist and it came out, I mean, feminism was was a very hot topic, hot topic in the church. And now a lot of the things that I'm talking about in there almost feel quaint. Mm-hmm. Right? It's crazy how sadly, quickly, sadly, not enough. You know, how quickly right. that idea has. I mean, now it's just kind of like, oh, of course I'm a feminist. Course, like most exactly. people are, unless and you're so a very, very conservative church, then that's normal. But yeah, ten right. years ago it wasn't. Yeah, and and I think that that's okay, right? It's okay to say this was a moment in time at a at a particular conversation in time. Would I write a very different book now? Probably, but but I loved the girl I was then, and I loved the book that it was, and and away it went. And it was the perfect book for, you know, someone like me when I was at that place. And probably if it had been using female pronouns for God, I I would have said, okay, this is too far out. I can't, I can't even <laughs> read this. And so, you know, you're right that like it is, it's stepping stones in a journey. And, you know, maybe it was one of my first and, and yet without that first one, I don't know if I would have been able to make it to the next. Mm-hmm. I think that's gonna... maybe sometimes part of it is... Um, and I think that's probably a lot of what you two are trying to do here, even with the spaces and the conversations and communities that you've created is, is this idea of, of building on ramps, mm. you know, for people, 
you know, to not feel so isolated, not feel so siloed, not feel so trapped and alone, but to realize that there are a lot of pathways and, and sometimes you just need someone to walk alongside of you, you know, kind of, you know, in that or in that moment. And so I think that's an important part of it as well. It's even sometimes an act of hospitality, but Mm -hmm. that also doesn't mean you don't sometimes look back and be like, yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, you said it with the books and I feel out with the show too. I'll, I'll listen back to stuff. I mean, we've been on now for five years and I listen back and it's like, Oh, I wish I could go back and, and change that or say that different. Or I know people that, you know, Shelby, you have a blog that you've been doing for 10 plus years or something like oh, that. And that and, is absolutely cringe when I go back all the way. But, <laughs> but, but someone, yeah. people find these, they kind of intersect with these, um, these, what's it, a blog or a podcast or a book or a series of books like, like you have done Sarah. And they, they kind of pick it up and they they start that journey with you. And I love the emails. We'll get emails and people will be like, hey, I've listened to you guys for the last two years and I don't really feel like I need it anymore. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. You know, they they feel like they've, they're not in that place anymore where they need someone to like come alongside them and help them through this kind of rocky period. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. You know, that's you're kind of launched out. Yeah. You're like launched out into now go live, you know, live your life and you don't, you're not in that shaky spot anymore um, that you mm-hmm. felt like you were in. But, and that kind of like along with these, this term of, evolving faith you know you have the evolving faith conference that you've co-founded and i just i love that term i, I found myself using that a lot on the show and because i don't really like the term deconstruction i don't know why <laughs> i just don't like it it feels very i guess it feels kind of negative maybe as that is what it is and now the term has been kind of taken over by you know the desiring gods and the gospel coalitions of the world and they want to you know control it a bit and all and, the responses to it yeah and have like a yeah a response and um but i love this term evolving faith it's very much looking forward and it's not this like problem that you're going through it's this hey we're all we're all changing and evolving and growing we're taking in new information and we're doing something with it and and we're growing and um as opposed to kind of i, I feel like the opposite is kind of like conserve or hold on or in some ways even this idea of we can, let's go back, let's go back, like make, make America, make the church, make Christianity great. I get something, something in the past. Right. And so I just, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit, like what, when you think of the kind of the term evolving faith and like the goal of the conference and the goal of this movement, like what, what does that mean to you evolving faith? Yeah. I've, I've have similar, I don't know if I would say qualms about the word deconstruction. I understand why people like it. And I understand even the ubiquitousness of it. But in some ways, it's almost become like this Rose Arc test. Like, it only means what people think it means. (laughs) (laughs) And there's so many different ways you can kind of approach it or take a run at it. And so when it came to evolving faith, it came about because Rachel Held Evans and I were, you know, close friends and, and fellow writers, and we're kind of doing a lot of this work alongside of each other. And we both had uh, young families at the time and, you know, traveling and speaking was hard. And so we kind of had this thought of like, well, what if we tried to create just like a weekend where we can invite some people that we like and we'll see if anybody wants to come. Um, And at the time I had just published Out of Sorts and the subtitle for that was Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. And she had uh, just come out with Searching for Sunday which is an incredible book. Oh, we both read Yeah. And so we kind of landed on this idea of an evolving faith. And um, we were really taken aback that first weekend by the response um, to it. I think one of the things that we realized that weekend is that um, this experience of having an evolving faith or, or being in the wilderness, which is another metaphor we use a lot, it can feel profoundly lonely. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, it's very isolating. I think especially for people who grew up in particular communities or faith communities or you know social locations where... Um, total agreement and adherence was not only demanded, but expected. Mm -hmm. And so then when you become the person who's stepping out of line, or, you know, some aspect of your identity means you were never able to be in line, then there is this element of loneliness to it. And so like you said earlier, Shelby, there is a grief to that. And so almost this sense of like, well, we're not as alone as we all thought we were. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that kind of was what ended up giving birth to Um, not only, you know, the ongoing conference, but the community, it's what has held me, I think, up quite a bit, even in the face of losing Rachel and having to see so many, you know, changes and and losses, you know, along the way, there is this sense of, um, 
of expansiveness and community and goodness to the notion of an evolving faith, that it's not a matter of one and done, or you've arrived, or now everything is kind of settled and finished. I've kind of had the opinion for the last number of years that like, oftentimes when we come to these sorts of thresholds, we come to these sorts of intersections in our faith or in our our experience with our spirituality. And, and this can happen at so many points in your life. I've had these conversations with 13-year-olds and I have had them with 73-year-olds. And so it, it's not really about just stage of life. There is this sense of like, well, your your two options are either, like you said, Nate, to, to just totally double down on it, right? Do the, let's go back to what worked before. I'm going to kind of put my fingers in my ears, pretend everything's fine. And if I pretend it long enough and hard enough and do enough Bible studies with worksheets, then surely all my questions <laughs> and doubts and, and problems will disappear. And then on the flip side, you kind of end up, you know, you can almost, you know, flip over into this, like, well, just burn it all down. There's, right. there's nothing worth saving here. There's nothing, you know, worth worth keeping, you know, pull everything apart. And spoilers, I have done both and and found both, you know, both the, the limits and the, the blessings, you know, of both. And sometimes you've needed both. But it's that way. I think that the thing that ended up interesting um, us was this idea of what does it look like to actually lean into your doubts, your questions, the things that are bothering you or are or keeping you up at night, and instead saying, what if I stop clinging so hard to those and I open my hands and I find a community within this? Mm. And that's where I think you begin to see a lot of even some of those models of faith formation, whether it's Ricor or it's Fowler or even like Brian McLaren's new new works that he's doing, I'm finding really helpful in that Richard Rohr's Two Halves of Life. Like this is hardly new stuff. And this invitation of an evolving faith just simply means that you are like on that journey, that you're aware of the fact that you are not going to finish this with the exact same opinions and beliefs that you had at the beginning. And if you do, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> Right. The, the the invitation of your life um, is part of how the Holy Spirit works and speaks and, and, and cooperates and plays with us. And so I think that's worth paying attention to. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Beautiful. I remember hearing an interview with Hillary McBride years ago where they were, it was her and several other people, and they were all being asked about their deconstruction journey. And she said, ah, I didn't really have a deconstruction journey because, like, my parents were just, they just, they were therapists who just affirmed that people just change as you go. And, like, it was just always normal. And so I just changed as I went, and I never really thought anything of it. I was like, what? That is, <laughs> this is brand new information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who, who would have thought? So, I know. I think that that's part of it is maybe we were kind of, again, going back to that thing of just like the thing that you were told ends up being not true. And it's not because anybody maybe necessarily was trying to lie to you. I mean, maybe they were, but usually it's because we were kind of given this idea of like, well, if you're right, you never change. And right. good Christians mm-hmm. never change their mind. And and if you have the truth, then exactly. you never depart from it. And instead of realizing like, no, I'm sorry, you're supposed to be paying attention. You're, you know, uh, uh, faith is not an, an unmovable certainty. That's mm-hmm. that's literally not the definition of faith. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's even part of it is just like normalizing and blessing this experience of change and transformation and growing up and and deepening in nuance and hopefully in love. Mm. It's funny that you actually just said like that's not even the definition of faith because I think that was what I was hoping to ask you about next is like as we're talking about you know, evolving faith. I think evolving is a term that we can 
we you know we're pretty familiar with and i mean faith is a term we're incredibly familiar with but almost to the point of where we don't really stop and and talk about okay what do we mean by that and what are there's so many things that it could mean and i know that for a lot of us on this journey it's you know it can be it can feel scary or risky to join another community when you feel like, okay, well, but am I going to just grow out of this one? Like, is this one also going to end up being too restrictive? And like, it's, you know, if, if you're on this journey, you're like, I don't know where it's going to end. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to you know, be a Christian 10 years from now. I don't know if I'm going to believe the same things I believe 10 years from now. And the things that I'm saying are rock solid for me now, are they going to be in, in a few years? And so like, yeah, just when you talk about evolving faith, you know, what is the faith part of that, that, that's you know maybe those of you who you know put on these conferences or like what's kind of the the base ground do you have like orthodox principles are you like we're going to hold to these you know elements of a creed or or do you, you know, what's the what is the faith part that that is evolving and is there is there a limit to it or is it kind of anyone's welcome i mean i know anyone's welcome but i don't know it's hard to i don't know if if my question's making sense really no, I, I think I hear you. I think, and that's a question I think a lot of people have had for us over the years. And the the answer is like, I think like a lot of things is, I guess it, it kind of depends, right? For for some people, which maybe isn't, you know, the the answer that a lot of folks would have. I know that there were a lot of people who were surprised the first year that we had Evolving Faith by how Jesus-y it was. Hmm. And I think that surprised them when maybe it necessarily didn't need to, because if you knew me and Rachel, you knew that that's probably what it was going to look like in a lot of ways. Like, And in a lot of ways, both of us, for all of our, well, I'll speak for myself, but for all of the, you know, labels of being a heretic or, you know, godless liberal or whatever else people want to call, you know, I'm still very centered and stubborn about Jesus. And Rachel was was similar, you know, in, in her own way. And so in a lot of, and we should love the church. And so that came through, I think, in a lot of stuff, right, that we did, or, or even in the things that we that we incorporated into the event. I mean, to this day, we still do communion mm-hmm. at the end of every um, gathering that we have. And so, and yet there's not been lines drawn. Like we haven't put in things like, you know, anyone who speaks on stage has to, you know, affirm the creeds or has to do this or that. We have had a lot of people on stage who weren't Christians at all and have very different religious backgrounds or have found themselves, you know, just in a place of of no faith, who are agnostic, who are atheist, who practice a different form of faith. And I think there's an expansiveness and a room for that that I really love. I don't think that there's a part of me that thinks at this point, after this many years, that somehow I've got the corner on truth. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a nice illusion. <laughs> so there's something really beneficial about being in relationship and being in companionship and community with people who do think very differently than you on a lot of different things from scripture to church to politics to, you know, whatever else. There are certain things that we've kind of put in place to make sure that it does feel like a sanctuary. Like it's very important for us that everyone who we platform or we put um, in a position of leadership at Evolving Faith, for instance, it's it's not up for debate on inclusion for LGBTQ plus, mm-hmm. you know, people. That's just that's just a baseline for us, you know, or or whatever else. And so, you know, but yet there's there's a lot of room, you know, and diversity within the community, within the leadership, within all of those different things. And so my hope is is that we're learning how to practice a generosity and a welcome and a hospitality within community. And the word faith, I like for its very roominess. I like that there's a, a shaggy roominess kind of to it where you you get to kind of define that for yourself, even whether you're someone who's coming for the first time or you've been part of it for five years or, you know, you're coming in with different baggage or different story or different background history. And or even if we're just a, a place along the way, I mean, even I remember a few years ago, um, Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes was teaching at Evolving Faith. And she talked about the nature of what we do as being for people on the move. And so mm-hmm. by its nature, it's going to be I mean that there's times when you're there for a little while and times when you keep moving. There's times when we're a good place to stop for some people for a long time. And for other folks, it's maybe just for a little while. But along the way, you've experienced something that looks like community and belonging and hopefully a bit of hope. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, you brought up um, Rachel Held Evans, who 
we had on the show, um, you know, years ago and just loved, she was a big part of my story as well with Searching for Sunday. And I think the one of the main things I loved, and you mentioned it earlier in the interview with your own story as well, which was having these really positive experiences with church, right? So as much as there was maybe some complicated, you know, as you, as you grew and some of the like theology or some of the beliefs were like, you know, I just, I've, I'm moving past that one. For for me and my story was like, but the, the the people, you know, they were the ones that that took care of me. That you know, like I remember Rachel talking about casseroles. They're, this is the people that brought us casseroles, and and um and I think in the maybe that maybe I'm discovering part of what I don't like about the deconstruction word is sometimes there's a bit of an attitude around the the changing of your faith and like almost like you have to look you have to join this club that kind of looks back on the past and is like kind of angry about about it and like wants to <laughs> i don't know just turn their back on all those people and um and maybe that those people feel that even and i've just never wanted i want i want to you know have grace for that and and be so thankful for for that time and also i need to change some things i need to move forward and but anyways i think there's a question here <laughs> somewhere yeah i just i think about rachel you know you were personal friends with her and i think i just you know her voice is just so missing in in our in our day and age and all these people that are on this journey and um I'm just curious, as as a personal friend of her, what do you what do you feel like she'd be talking about today um, if she was still with us? And yeah, you know, what are what are we missing right now from Rachel? Yeah, I mean, there's a million ways where her voice is missed and her presence is missed. You know, I wish I knew all the answers for that. I think that that was one of the things that um, made Rachel such a voice in in a generation was that she mm. was inimitable. Um, mm. and so no matter what she, you know, would or wouldn't do or say, I know that, um, it would have mattered yeah. and it would have been, um, and yet we find ourselves here in a world without Rachel. And, and I think that the invitation then is to say, if there's something that we're missing or there is something that we're longing for, maybe then that's the invitation for us to step into that space. Right. And I think that that's where a lot of fo folks realized, in the aftermath of losing Rachel was how often they relied on her to be brave for them hmm. and to say out loud the things that then they could, you know, would give them a script or would give them, you know, something to retweet or give them something to say. And so, yeah, it's a huge absence. It's a huge loss for a lot of folks. And so, yeah, I think that there's, there's something that I think Rachel did really well um, that I, well, a lot of things that she did really well, but one of them was, I think about that, that aspect of, of nuance you talked about, Nate, about name, the importance of naming harm, of calling out, um, wrongness and naming things, what they are, of telling the truth of learning how to lament well, but then she was also very good about giving us room to complicate things and not revert back to the us versus them fundamentalism mm -hmm. um, that we had tried to leave behind, right? I mean, the the point isn't to leave behind, you know, one form of fundamentalism for another form, right? It's just, there's, mm -hmm. there's gotta be more, more grace and room and nuance and conversation and belonging than that. And so, and she was always really, really good at that. It seems like it would be necessary right now for sure. Yeah, uh, there's a lot more we could say about her, but it's an honor to have you on here as well as someone who was close to her. We wish we could have her back on. I'm curious in the the years of writing books that, you know, even even if we say, you know, Jesus Feminist back way back then was, you know, now it's, uh, you know, uh, you're like, wow, I could have gone a lot further with that. You know, it was still a big deal when it, when it came out. And then, you know, as you've kept going, things have pr probably only like they continue to be a big deal at the time that you write them. And I'm wondering as your faith has evolved and you're very public about it as a writer and a speaker, what kind of pushback have you faced? Um, whether, whether online or personally in community and like, what's that journey mm -hmm. been like? I think as awful as you can imagine in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that I'm so grateful for because my, my natural personality is, not confrontational, mm. you know, tend to avoid conflict wherever I could. I think if I looked, I, I had the realization a few years ago that like, if I looked back on my life, almost every major, you know, sin or regret that I have had in my life almost always had its roots in wanting to avoid conflict. 
and wanting mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, um, avoid, you know, difficulty or disagreement or, um, and so the experience of then feeling, I don't know, I mean, I'm charismatic still. So I still like words like called, you know, I still feel, feel called mm-hmm. to the work that I do. I feel like it's a vocation, um, which is sitting at these intersections of these difficult conversations, whether it's, you know, politics and the world and justice and um, faith and, you know, all these sorts of things. It's a real quick wake up call that, you know, you're not going to please everybody. There is going to be conflict. Um, you are not going to die from critique. <laughs> and so, you know, and sometimes that can feel, um, you know, it, it is definitely a form of dying to self, maybe if you want to use some really, re- you know, religious language around it. But there, what is the sense for me, I think, and the temptation that often comes in in these places is those loud voices of people who are like, you're a heretic, you're going to hell, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, I, I, I know that that's not true. I, I know who I am. I know my heart. I know my motivations. And I, and what's more is I, I believe that I know God. And so that doesn't really bother me quite as much anymore. The kind of drive by, you know, sort sure. of things that can happen. The, the, the point where I see sometimes there's a little bit of a, a snag is then getting in that defensive posture of being like everyone who critiques me and everyone who disagrees with me is now out to get me and is a hater or is, you know, whatever. And then we miss the opportunities and invitations that a thoughtful community and disagreement and conversation and even critique can bring to us, which going back to Jesus feminist shall be like, if there were definitely some things in there that I needed thoughtful critique and pushback on, And if I had tried to lump every person who said, hey, but what about this, this, and this into like that conglomerate of haters, I would have missed the invitation that I believe God had for me there of being like, oh, no, we're going to complicate this narrative a little bit. We're going to expose some of your places where maybe you've missed or your privileges or your experiences have made it so you weren't able to maybe see or identify that. Um, or here's some nuance that that maybe you missed or whatever. And, and so those are growth opportunities too at the same time. And so I'm, I try to <laughs> have that posture of like curiosity and empathy and openness and even assigning positive intent mm-hmm. until I'm proven otherwise um, to try to have a more generous interpretation of things while at the same time exercising good boundaries about what is going to take root in my own heart and mind and work. You know, you can't be writing or leading or speaking into everything for everyone and neither mm-hmm. are you going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay too but at the same time that's where it's been very helpful to me to be very grounded in like real relationships and real you know your real life you know it's like if if i'm i'm wandering a little bit so i apologize but it's almost mm-hmm. like this sense of like if all i'm hearing is how terrible and bad i am that's not true but neither is it true if all I'm hearing is that I'm amazing <laughs> and so wise, you know, or whatever else. Cause it's like neither one of those, you know, exclusively is super good for your soul. And so what is, yeah, what is it that, what is that thing that can be like, well, what is, what is actual reality here? And what is the invitation of being a real person, whether you're in the internet or you're in your neighborhood, that there would be a seamlessness to that, that no matter who encounters you where they're finding the same person. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask about too, right? Because we can talk about like the public, you know, you, you're author, we have the podcast, there's like that, you know, I just can't please everyone, I have to kind of not listen to those emails or those tweets or whatever. But then on a personal level, too, I think a lot of our listeners out there, you know, they're dealing with these, whether it's family or friends, or people they used to go to church with, or still go to church with, and they're concerned about them, right? Like the people in those spaces are concerned about this journey they're going on, or are worried or are maybe a little frustrated or whatever it is, but they're, and I'm a nine on the, on the Enneagram. I, I want to keep the peace. I want, I don't want conflict. And so that's a really difficult space for me. And I know I hear it from our listeners too. They don't know often how to navigate those. And I'm curious if you have any wisdom for, for those on this journey right now, listening that are like, I just don't know how, whether it's a Facebook comment or a, you know, a conversation, someone Someone just scheduled. They want to. They want to have coffee with me, right? They want to. You know, these oh, are like we all just, just even just for those saying of, that. Yeah, we're on a Zoom call for everyone who's listening. And when he, Nate just said have coffee with me, we all just went. Yeah, so, yeah, cringe, cringe emoji. Yeah, 
you know, but, and, and these are people with the best of intentions, I think people that, you know, like you said, assigning good intent. Right. And so like, I think these are people that really care and really, uh, quote unquote, love us. Right. And I, so I, yeah, just any wisdom around how to navigate that or maybe how to think about it differently or something. Hmm. That is a good question. And I, you know, I've read a number of books from a few different people over the last number of years, I think, especially as we've kind of hit this stage of, you know, our culture and our public discourse becoming so deeply polarized. And I think that there is something really there that I've learned along the way from, from some, you know, folks and, and teachers and therapists. And I mean, there's so many things that people can look at, you know, to find good guides and resources who know much more about this than I do. But from a personal experience, it's, it's complicated and it's hard. And I don't know that there's a hack to get out of that. I don't know that there is a magic conversation that happens that heals everything. I think that it oftentimes does, if it's going to work, it often has to be from a a perspective of mutuality, right? That you're both invested in making it work. If it's the dynamic, which it usually is, of one person being in fear and seeking to control um, and wanting to kind of shut down or get you in line, it, it just doesn't usually end well. And and I think knowing that you can try everything and do everything and you can be as generous as possible, and that still might be the end result. There still might end be the end result that you have to draw a boundary or you have to release certain friendships or relationships from a, a center space in your life to a season of your life. I mean, those are, are difficult things. I think especially when you... Uh, speaking from experience, where it costs you friendship and community, uh, belonging, that is the currency that often people will use to keep you in line, right? Is that sense of belonging. We know how swift the punishment is when you step out of line. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that ex- to that extent, I think that's why it's so important to be developing, you know, those muscles of community and belonging and friendship and acceptance and, and, you know, therapy, like all those different types of things that will help you be able to navigate that. Um, but there's not really a, a get out of discomfort free card on any of it. There's going to be awkward coffee dates. There's going to be hard conversations. There's going to be sad nights when you realize that you've grown really far apart from the person who used to be your primary person. And there are ways to find each other again. It requires, I think, both people being in that posture of love and acceptance and curiosity and empathy with each other. I've, I know I've definitely experienced that in my own life and I am grateful for, for it. I think too, there's even the understanding that we have to own our crap, you know, because we're when you very first oftentimes cross that threshold, you enter into it with this sense of like righteous indignation and anger. Going back to even like your deconstruction metaphor, uh, Nate, there can be this sense of like chaos and drywall flying and people get caught in the, you know, in the, yeah. the you know, residual damage, you know, like it just that's part of the flailing sometimes. And so learning how to own our own part in that and our own where maybe we, you know, hurt people inadvertently or inadvertently and learning how to, you know, forgive and be forgiven. Um, those are all things that will serve us, I think, well as we go along. But I don't know that there is a way around it other than through it. And it sucks. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that's, that is, uh, but I think the going through it rather than the around it, I mean, that I think ties into even what you just mentioned about how uh, polarizing our culture has been, has become in the last, I mean, I think a lot of people would say since 2016 and then heightened by COVID and just, it is such a different world of what feels like so quickly in the last Mm -hmm. decade. And that, I think that it makes it very easy to try to just avoid all these conversations um, because it's easy to just kind of join another camp and and kind of like you mentioned earlier of uh, moving from one type of fundamentalism to another. And so the process that you were just mentioning of, of actually going through it, having the hard conversations, having the awkward coffee dates, like I, I think that's the, the skill that our culture is losing that we like this yeah. really important on both people's sides. Obviously, you know, we completely affirm that there are, there are boundaries that you know, and people listening, like we're not saying you need to go have every 
coffee date that you're invited on, oh, no. there's there's going to be people who just aren't safe to have those conversations with. Well, and... I think too, you realize that there comes a certain point where you spending all of your time and your energy and your emotional labor to convince somebody of something they are committed to not understanding, mm. it's just not going to be the best use of your time and your energy and your emotional you know, labor. And so I think even sometimes maybe we've missed, and maybe this is a hang on from some of that evangelical evangel- um, evangelism mm. dynamics that we've been given, like, well, if you just have the right argument, and if you just have the right answer, yes. you'll convince people of stuff. That That is not that is not what we're doing here. And so I think that as well, especially if you're in a place of hurt or you're in a place of grief or you're in a place of dealing with a lot of anger, and I think for a lot of people coming out of some of these spaces, there has often at times the narratives of abuse and recovery that have to take place, um, certainly spiritual. You know what? You are allowed to protect yourself. You yeah. are allowed to also just kind of curl up and take a minute and you don't have not every battle or in every conversation is for right this very second and right this very moment. I think especially if you feel a bit wobbly, it's it's good to kind of curl up somewhere where you feel healthy, where you have a sense of sanctuary, where you have a sense of belonging and get your feet under you. It's okay. I remember saying something similar in some of those early conversations. This is, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago where, you know, someone wanted to have the coffee or wanted to, you know, Hey, can we chat after a hangout session, you know, and, uh, and you're like, okay, that pit of the stomach. And I, I remember trying for a while, right. Cause I, I just recently coming out of that world of everything, sort of a debate, or I, I grew up you know, very Calvinistic reformed. So it was very doctrinal, right? Like, it's like, you believe this and you're set of tool up and all, you know? And so I got to a point where realizing like, that's not going to be, those tools are not needed as much in this in this way forward for me and having to trying to enter into that a little bit and trying to do, you know, the book studies or whatever the person wanted to do, but also say like, I think some of this is you just have to, you won't know until you have experienced what I've experienced and that becoming a helpful thing for me to share is like, I can only, I can only share so much. I can only tell you so much. I think we've just had a a bit of a different experience at this point. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't explain all of that for you. I can I can do my best to try to share how this has felt because you're a friend and I want to do that, but I can't I can't give you this whole journey that I've been on. <laughs> yeah, and that became some sort of a helpful thing for me to say, I guess, to people. But but it's not usually satisfying to the person listening, no. especially because people coming from, I mean, you know, I don't say this as a you know look at them because that was me. Like I I was that person who you know to, hearing someone talk about their feelings like that just wasn't really valid i was like well but this is what's true and this is what the bible says so you know i'm if that's how you felt about god well then that's like too bad kind of i mean that's that would be the mentality that i would have grown up in so so i can often hear like when i'm relating that journey to someone else like i can hear how this doesn't sound satisfying to them and this sounds wishy-washy and sounds like i'm just you know making up my own truth and i try to acknowledge that I can imagine what they're probably thinking. But, and then I think for me, it is a little different. Um, and I don't know, maybe this is not healthy, but maybe I just love having the answer so much. I mean, I went and did a master's in biblical studies. And so I feel like a lot of those conversations now, like I feel like I can kind of come to those with a bit of, there actually are different answers than mm-hmm. the ones that, you know, we grew up with. And yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, I can't necessarily point for point come, but I can, I can come with a very different starting basis. And if, mm-hmm. if we have a different starting basis for just what the Bible is, what it was ever meant to be, how it was written, the fact that it's not an it, it's a collection and written by, you know, all men. And I mean, we've talked about it so much on our, on this podcast, but if we can start with a different premise, then that just changes the whole conversation. You know, we're not, we don't have to be on the defense all the time. And yet, and and that's part of why we do this podcast is because, you know, obviously the average person doesn't have all those tools, especially if you're, you know, anything like us who spent, has, you know, probably spent 20 years or more learning all the points that you were supposed to learn in the evangelical tradition. You know, you got all the apologetics arguments down, you got all the doctrine, and then now, you know, within months or a couple of years, you're thrown into a completely like, you know that, okay, I don't think I fit there anymore, but, you know, of course it's going to take you another how long to feel like, uh, okay, I not only do I feel comfortable where I am, but I can actually go out and like 
defend that to someone like that's you shouldn't be expected to have to be able to defend a position that you're only just discovering Mm -hmm. and yet that's that's a that is what often is expected and if you can't defend it then it's like see you're something you're doing something wrong here that's at least i think i know that's what nate and i have experienced too is feeling and we've heard from listeners that you know it can feel very invalidating and very scary to be to realize like i don't I can't combat the the apologetics arguments that my friends and family are throwing at me. And so just, we are constantly trying to affirm, like, you don't have to have those responses. And, and as backwards as it sounds from the mindsets we had growing up, you, you can, you can just stop and like you were saying, curl up (laughs) in a place that feels safe, acknowledge how you feel about yourself, about God, about the Bible, about church, and like that those feelings actually matter. And, you know, I don't know if I can prove that with a Bible verse, but, you know, I think if you can start to just trust, trust that, trust that your feelings are one of the accurate indicators of life, not the only one, but one, then that can point you in a healthy direction. I think so. I think that's part of the, what you're relearning is how to dismantle that idol of certainty. Mm. Right. To learn to become a little more comfortable with mystery and with nuance, um, with saying, I don't know, which I think for a lot of, of us growing up in particular, you know, sub-segments of evangelicalism, it was like, I don't know, might as well be like a swear word. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, this, yeah. this notion of patience of time, the thing too, that I have found that doesn't surprise me anymore, but did at first was how often the people who had the biggest and strongest reactions against whatever I was saying or exploring circled back around in less time than I would have thought to say, can you tell me more about that? Hmm. Because now I find that I'm there. And it is when you are a non-anxious, non-judgmental presence, you know, if you can be, we we can't always be, (laughs) But oftentimes you become their their safest person to come to when the prayer didn't get answered or the divorce papers arrived or the diagnosis rolled in and prayer didn't fix it, you know, or whatever else has happened. They know that you're someone who has walked that road or has traveled that road. And so I've stopped being surprised, but it is always something I kind of have in the back of my head sometimes now when I have a lot of those conversations or I encounter those those difficult kind of moments of like, well, if this, then that, and then we're done. It's like, well, okay. You know, that's, that's okay. And, and the door will stay open on my side and you let me know when you want to walk through. And so that doesn't always happen, (laughs) but I've been surprised by the regularity with which it does at times. Yeah. Yeah. The, the amount of people that, you know, reached out when I first started the show, with the concerned emails and all that kind of, I mean, they were, they were there. Right. But then, but then over the years, there've been some people, you know, from a Bible college or a, a you know, a community group or something. I'm like, you, you're right. Camp- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So look at us. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I remember when I was uh, first, I mean, the deconstruction started uh, before COVID, but then it was kind of just happened to be that during COVID was, not only the most alone in my faith, but then very alone in literally. And, and, but we had this core group of like five friends and I was just so scared to be honest with them about where I was at because I just, you know, felt like I was going to eliminate myself from this group. And, and it's just was amazing to see how, you know, their, uh, that their, their love for me just, you know, that was, that was never a question. And then sure, slowly, like every single one of them has come on this journey, which was actually what I was most afraid of in the beginning was someone following me on this journey that I didn't know where it was going. And at that point I felt like I was just falling into this abyss and I was like, I don't want to take anyone with me. Um, but now, um, now I'm, you know, feel so Come on more. in, the water's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's actually. I think so that's much part fun. of the fun, maybe, of when you kind of cross that threshold of the wilderness, and all of a sudden you feel so profoundly alone, and you've had all your belongings stripped away from you, is the realization there's a lot of weirdos and misfits out here, <laughs> right? Mm. There's more of us than you could have ever imagined, and there's a lot more people who are questioning, who are exploring, who are, you know, even playing you know, a little bit with stuff. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's not as a, a scary 
um, when you realize you're not as alone as you thought maybe. Yeah. And even even that historically, like this, oh, we're yeah. not alone. Like from the beginning <laughs> of Christianity, there have, there has I not know. been one path. There has not been one trajectory. It's and, super you know. cute that we thought for like 20 years there was. Yeah. Like, it's it's <laughs> almost right. adorable. How we thought we that our thought denomination that, like, our version finally... was the one that cracked the code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I've said this probably on the podcast before, but I, I can still vividly remember. I don't know exactly how old I was, probably 16 or 17 or something. And standing in the kitchen in my family's home, washing dishes. Like, I just remember standing there, looking out the little kitchen window over the sink, thinking just so gratefully about like, I am so lucky that I was born into exactly the right belief system. Like my, my, <laughs> like I got it, like I got it all just given to me right now. And I just remember, I mean, now I'm like, oh, you know, poor sweet Shelby just was very naive, but I was, I, at least I was aware of like, that's crazy. And I just thought, you know, I was crazy lucky, but at least it was already a little crazy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people listening right now that are, you know, we're all coming from this place down the road a bit, right? Like we can look back and we can reflect and we're like, yeah, we're comfortable with this. Um, There's some that are just entering. I get these emails all the time, right? People that are just entering this journey and their head is spinning and they're like, I don't know what's what weighs up, what weighs down. Um, And you maybe you start believing some of the things people are saying about you. Like you're just going for whatever feels good, right? Like truth's out the window, I guess. And you're just, it's whatever you think. And um, what about if you change tomorrow and you feel that, you know, all these things people start saying on Facebook comments and all this stuff. Exactly, right? Or that, (laughs) yeah. I hate that that one. But but, I mean, it gets (laughs) used and people feel that way about themselves. You're just trying to be cool. you're, You're dismantling your whole life because you want to sin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we've shared a lot on that one article that was written on, uh, what is it? Gospel, Gospel Coalition. Coalition. Yeah. Anyways. So it's like five reasons of for street cred. I think that's all of yeah. them were just absolutely. Anyways. Well, I had seen a huge benefit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always, <laughs> always beneficial to just lose your entire community and everything. Super efficient. Right. It's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Feels good. But, but to those people that are kind of in that, just first, you know, first weeks, first months. Um, yeah. What, what advice would you give to them? What wisdom do you have for them? Hmm. That's, that's a good question. Um, let me think for a second. I, when I look back on what served me best during, I think, especially some of the scariest transitions, what I needed to hear or what helped me to hear, was first to be constantly affirmed and reminded and grounded in the love of God. And however that translates for you in that moment, for some people, maybe it's still through scripture, for other people, maybe it's through other experiences or other relationships. But it meant a lot to me to, to I remember turning back to a lot of the Psalms and Isaiah during that time and really feeling like, you know, I even the line, like, even if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Right, that there's nowhere that I can outrun your presence, nowhere where you aren't already. And the amount of comfort that that gave me. And I remember my dad even sitting down with me at one point and saying, like, you know, if you are seeking God, I have confidence in that, even if it leads you on a different path in a direction than I've had. Mm. And that kind of um, that's an amazing thing to hear from a parent. Oh, I'm I'm never not incredibly grateful for both my mom and my dad have both kept pace with, with me and with my sister and with our partners um, as we have, they've been on their own journey, mm-hmm. right? They've been on their own journey of an evolving faith. But that sense of, of being very rooted and grounded in the belonging that I had and the love of God, no matter what that meant or how that looked, even as that changed, was very important to me. And then the other thing that I really would have, that really did benefit me and serve me and is a gift that I try to give other people now is to not be afraid for them. Mm. I think oftentimes that's what we hear from people around us is that they're afraid. Mm. They're afraid that we'll go to hell. We're afraid that we're going to lose the life that we've built. They're afraid for us and of us. They're afraid they're going to lose us. Um, And so oftentimes we get kind of almost infected. Like we're already scared because we, we know what is happening? We know what what is at stake here. And then at the same time, you've now got all this chorus of people who are like, you know, a Greek tragedy of like all the, the w- ways that you can go wrong and this can go badly. 
And so finding those people around you who can normalize what you're experiencing, who can bless and give you permission, um, finding those non-anxious, non-afraid things that, that are confident in the love and the welcome and the hospitality and goodness of God, those things are, are helpful to, to know that we're loved, to know that you don't have to be afraid. I think, I think those two things were probably served me really well at that threshold. And, and so maybe that would be the thing I would want to say is just, you don't need to be afraid and you are so loved no matter where you're going or what you're doing or where this ends or doesn't end. Um, those are the things that that. I think you can hang on to as you begin. That I think resonates for me too. I think that that the initial kind of summer where I was starting to have the most, you know, these really serious deconstruction. I mean, I'll, I'll call them struggles. Cause at that point it was a struggle. Now I wouldn't say it's a struggle, but then it was, it was, it piggybacked off of probably some of the most intimate spiritual experiences I'd ever had. And so that was a, you know, in one sense felt almost like some kind of betrayal, but on the other hand, I think it also laid a foundation of, I I just knew, you know, if, if this God is real at all, then I think like they, you know, I have to hold on to this, you know, the, that I'm the one sheep out of the 99 and like, I can't go too far. Like if I'm, if I'm doing this out of the genuineness of my heart and out of what feels like, you know, trying to understand and, and just, and even if, even if I'm not, you know, I mean, I, you can't, not everyone, like it says, it feels wrong to judge someone by like, are you doing this genuinely or whatever? But like, if you're a human being who, you know, we say was created by a loving God, you know, father, mother, whatever we want to say that that being is, then, you know, then how could, yeah, how could, how could you really do anything that's too far for that parent to not love you anymore? I mean, that's what a, that's what a parent is, should be. Um, so yeah, I just, I think you're, that foundation of love is really important because it gives you the ability to try things that you're afraid of and maybe to maybe fail and to maybe go, Oh, I was wrong. And yet it's okay. <laughs> like you can be wrong and you're not going to be condemned. And that's, yeah. That's okay. I think that maybe that's some of the even deconstruction work you do first is realizing that God's mm. not like this punitive banker. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, holding some sort of like star chart in the sky over you for like, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot more roominess yeah. and a lot and more goodness. For most people, it comes down to that's changing the view of hell. Like you kind of have to change your view on that before you can take a, a journey that's not based in fear, which makes sense. I mean, how could it be otherwise? And, and that really is, I mean, we've talked about it a ton on the show, but that really is the rub too between those conversations, those coffee shop conversations and the Facebook comments is when you're functioning on different levels regarding, you know, a potential eternal damnation, then yeah, that's, that's a hard one to get past. And it's hard to have mutual openness or kind of what you were saying. It's hard for, hard for someone to be okay with your journey. If, if that's what they're afraid of, which makes sense, they shouldn't be okay with that. If that's Mm -hmm. what they believe could happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I think what can be hard is that community piece that you brought up, right? Like finding those people that are just alongside you and like, yes, like keep going. Like there's love here no matter what, no matter where you end up. And I know that's what you're trying to do with Evolving Faith. That's what we're trying to do with um, like the Facebook group and the Zoom calls that we do. And so even if, and I tell this to the people that email all the time, they're like, do you know of a community in, you know, some city in Kansas? I'm like, I don't, but... There, fort- I mean, there are people around. I know there are people around in that city in Kansas. It's just they're not always, you know, raising their hand uh, in the back pew. And they're, uh, it's it's maybe that person that like I haven't seen that person at church in a while, you know. Um, but so there are those people that physically there around you, and they they may be hard to find. But there's also these virtual communities in this world that we live in. There's the evolving faith community. There's almost radical. There's many others too as you as you start looking. So if you're just starting on that journey, I'd encourage you to you know, to try some of these out and see if you're able to find even that like, you know, online pen pal person that you can, 
you can chat with to just feel, we say this a lot, but to feel less alone and to feel less crazy because those are, it's really powerful when you have that feeling of like, oh, <laughs> I remember this when we started the show. It's like, we just flicked the mics on, thought 10 people were gonna listen. And then you realize, oh, there's like thousands and thousands of people that are having the same experience that I'm having. Very, you know, different nuances and that kind of thing, but this same experience of some sort of a change, some sort of a loss of something I used to believe and not knowing what comes next. That's a very common, very common experience. So you are not alone and you are not crazy. And I hope that we can um, help connect you with, with others on this same journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're on the brink of something really, really beautiful and free. For sure. From some people who've been there for a while. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on this call and for your words of encouragement. Um, I, I want to encourage any anyone to pick up one of Sarah's books. Just the way that you write, uh, I was re- reminded as I was recently reading through Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, is just, I mean, it does remind me also of Rachel's style of just, it's comforting. It feels like you're talking to a friend and it's full of um, humor and stories and also just weaving in so much biblical imagery that I think a lot of times when people who have maybe stepped back from church and stepped back from Bible studies often feel like like this doesn't belong to me anymore and the way that you just weave you know Jesus and those stories into life and and truths that you maybe are only just becoming comfortable to us it's really beautiful and so I uh, hope you guys anyone can pick up one of her books somewhere but it's been wonderful to hear from you and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. I appreciate it. A holy open invitation That sounds more like truth to me A holy open invitation That sounds more